Welcome to Six Weeks of Soul Care with Meg Lacey Vega and JJ Vega. We are living through a strange time of isolation and anxiety as we hunker down at home during the coronavirus pandemic. Some of us find our schedules empty with canceled plans and lost jobs and nothing to do. Others of us are having the exact opposite experience as life and work and school all collide under one roof. Whichever end of the spectrum you find yourself, it seems that we are all seeking new ways of surviving, of thriving, of sustaining ourselves, and of nurturing our souls in this new time. That is what six weeks of soul care is all about. JJ, this is our last week. I can't believe it. It's gone by so fast. I know. Any, any big... (laughs) (laughs) You go first. Any big takeaways? Um, I enjoyed podcasting with you. That's a pretty big takeaway. And I love talking about this stuff. I've heard it said that you really learn when you start to teach. And I feel like my, my head, my heart, and my soul have been in this, you know, in these topics for a long time. But having to figure out ways to articulate it and not be overly technical or communicate to people where they are has been, it's been a good experience. I've definitely grown through it. What about you? Yeah, I've really enjoyed the topics. I mean, they're things that are close to our hearts, but I think I've um, especially enjoyed getting to talk with you about them. I feel like it would have been a very different podcast had I just tried to do it on my own. Um, I think getting to bounce off each other and the different kinds of knowing epistemological privilege to use a very fancy word (laughs) um, that we bring to the table uh, I think feels really good like we offer different insights and perspectives um, even though they're aligned and you bring so much to the conversation that I couldn't and I'm grateful for that well thanks for having me it's been fun yeah you ready for the last one yeah I think we saved the best for last and the hardest it is the hardest isn't it (laughs) Yes. So our topic for this week, week six, the final week of the Soul Care series, is encountering silence. Ooh. JJ suggested that we just stop there, and then the whole rest of the podcast could just be silence. Yeah. I'm still up for it if you are. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be a little, a little too throwing people in the deep end. Hang on till the end because we are going to invite you into a short, silent meditation. Um, So what do we mean when we talk about silence? What is silence and how is it a spiritual practice? Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit and say that silence is the absence of sound and ask what you think about that. I think that encountering silence, which is the way we've phrased this practice, is a reminder that silence is not the absence of something, Mm. but the presence of something else. So I do think that one definition of silence is the absence of sound, but maybe it's less the absence of all sound and more the ability to hone in on specific sounds, whether that's external or internal. 
So for me, when I'm thinking about silence and a spiritual practice, I'm thinking about silence as prayer. And so that is turning down the volume on external sounds so that I can turn up the volume on the voice of God in my heart and my life, that I can um, get perspective on reality in a way that I can't when I'm caught up in the middle of it. Yeah. So it takes a withdrawal. What do you think? I think that silence is, it's like the environment where prayer happens. I can maybe connect it to a metaphor. If the inner spiritual life is like a garden that we have to cultivate silence and stillness and solitude, these uh, contemplative stances, um, they're like the garden itself. And then what we do with our attention, with our intention, how we practice, how we experience silence are like the tools and the methods that we use to cultivate that garden. Um, I do think that silence sounds in- intimidating, but it is not the absence of sound. It's, it's a place that we go to in order to experience reality from a different place and experience intimacy with God from a different place. And that's really the whole goal for us as Christians. Right. So we're going to talk a good bit about tradition because the practice of silence has a long history in multiple traditions, but within the Christian tradition, and we don't talk about it very much. Right. Um, so we are going to get there. But before, let's talk just a little bit about scripture and where we see ourselves being invited into silence in scripture. So the one that stood out to me from the Gospels was Matthew 6, 6, and it reads, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So kind of coming back to my metaphor is silence is sort of the inner landscape or the inner environment of where prayer happens, where connection with God happens, I feel like that's as direct as Jesus gets mm. in talking about that in the Gospels. Um, what about you? What what speaks to you in Scripture? Yeah. Uh, the first thing I think about is, um, I think it's Thomas Keating that says, um, silence is God's first language. Yeah. And that comes from Genesis 1, right? This idea that God spoke and the world came into being. But before God spoke, it was just the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and there was silence. And when I first encountered silence as a spiritual practice in the form of centering prayer, um, that quote was used to introduce it. So I think from the very beginning of Scripture, there is this sense that um, God dwells below the surface of uh, what we can immediately see and hear, that it takes paying special attention sometimes. Um, to connect in a deeper way with the Spirit of God that hovers over the waters. Mm-hmm. But I also think of the Psalms. I mean, so many of the Psalms are meditations themselves and invitations into meditation. Um, I went and did a little poll of the Psalms and just came up with a few that um, have resonated with me. A couple of them will be familiar to you. Like, search me and know me, O God, which feels like an invitation into, like, the silence of the soul. The inner space. Yeah. Um, 
when I'm alone on my bed, I search my heart and I'm silent. I think that's a Psalm of David. Uh, my mouth will speak words of wisdom and my heart will meditate to lead to understanding. So the idea that the heart will meditate, not my brain meditates, but the heart <laughs> meditates. And there are Psalms about meditations on the promises of God, um, which I think is another really beautiful way of putting it. And then of course, maybe the most quintessential, be still and know that I am God, kind of the ultimate invitation into silence. Right, so that Psalm really speaks to a different way of experiencing God and that stillness and silence are ways that we can reach that understanding and knowing. Well, and we talked about, when we talked about creativity, like make a joyful noise, like there is time for that exuberant um, sort of worshiping connection, but our faith needs both parts. It needs the quiet and the loud. Right. That's a pattern that you see with Jesus in his ministry. He withdraws to quiet, still spaces to pray and meditate and connect with God. And then from that place, he goes back out, back out into the world, back out into his ministry. And he serves from a place of connection, of rootedness and groundedness in the Father. And so I think, again, if we're aiming to follow Jesus, then that's something to pay attention to the ways that he incorporates that into his rhythms of life. Yeah, what we would now maybe term as contemplation and action. Yes. And the rhythm of contemplation and action. So we can't have faith that is all one or all the other. Right. Yeah. How did you come to know of silence as a practice? What traditions shaped your experience? I, on the Enneagram, for those who are familiar am a type four with a five wing. And those two numbers are the most withdrawn socially and energetically of any of the other numbers. So you could say that I'm temperamentally predisposed to silence. And so I was always attracted to it. I started becoming interested in Buddhism and especially Zen Buddhism, just the simplicity of sitting still and watching your breath and just seeing what happens. You, you didn't know what the results or the outcome would be, but that was the first thing was sitting. And then, you know, the theory came afterwards. So Buddhism was a, a big portal. And then Father Richard Rohr, his weekly meditations through the center of action and contemplation, uh, some of his books like Breathing Underwater, where he talks a little bit more about contemplative silence and the practice of contemplative prayer were very formative. Thomas Keating, as you mentioned, uh, Cynthia Bourgeault, who we initially connected over uh, the first time we had coffee. She was the one that really connected silence and contemplative prayer to Jesus for me. Mm. And that sealed it in for me. That's when I knew, okay, there's, there's a place for me in this, what seems like a very noisy and active faith tradition. There's this whole pocket that's devoted to the silence and stillness that you know, draws me like waters in a lake. So those are some of the main ones. What about you? So in contrast, I am a very busy person. Like silence doesn't come quite as easily to me. Sure. Um, when I'm like 
off on Fridays and I'm just like buzzing around the house doing things, sometimes you walk out of your office and you're like, whoa, what why are you is doing? she moving so much? How is this anyone's idea of an off day? Right. <laughs> um, but that's just very much my way. Right. And so I think my encounter with silence was less, um, I was less drawn toward it and more, it was like the medicine I needed that I didn't know I needed until I tasted it. So my experience was sort of twofold. There were two things happening simultaneously. When I was in seminary um, at Candler in Atlanta, our minister of spiritual formation at the school was an Episcopal priest. Her name was Ellen. And she would go around to all of the classes and introduce various spiritual practices. And in one of the classes I was in, she introduced centering prayer, which for those who may not know, is a, is a practice of silence that's inherent in the Christian tradition. And it's about returning to a word or a phrase or an image that embodies God for you. So you aren't sitting in the stillness to clear your mind of all things. You're sitting in the stillness and the quiet as a way of returning to God over and over again. And um, she invited us to practice this for, I think it was just 10 minutes in this class. And I remember when we got done and she rang the meditation bell that I took a deep breath and I heard all of this like cracking and popping in the back of my neck and shoulders because it was the first time, maybe ever, but at least in years, that I had been that still and awake. Like I could be that still and asleep, but I couldn't be that still and tune in to what God was doing. Conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a really eye-opening experience for me of realizing how little stillness I had in my life and how maybe my body needed that. (laughs) Um, And then simultaneously, I was getting into yoga, and there's a practice in yoga called Shavasana, where at the end of a moving practice of yoga, you lay in what is called corpse pose, just lay flat on your back for five or six or eight minutes. And I had one teacher in particular who she would challenge us to stay on our mats for at least 10 minutes. Sometimes she would drag it out to 12 or 15, um, but she was very disciplined about saving time at the end of her class for us to have a full Shavasana. And so that was another way that sort of the practice of silence and stillness kind of crept into my life. Hmm. And once I had tasted it, I kept wanting more of it. I kept needing to come back to it. I kept finding that that was the place where I felt least overwhelmed and therefore could be most connected to God and to myself and could be most present for others. Um, And from there, for me, came a more disciplined practice of um, sitting in some kind of silent prayer or silent meditation more regularly. More recently, like you, I sort of have read a bunch of different authors on this. You know, Cynthia Bourgeau, who, as you said, we talked about on our first encounter with one another. And immediately disagreed about. Right. It was like our first (laughs) fight was like, do we like Cynthia Bourgeau? And you were like, yeah, I love her. And I was like, I don't know. No. Maybe a little too technical. (laughs) So, but that was good. I mean, it was the way that I learned that you had this depth of spirit to you, that you were interested in these same kinds of contemplative traditions and paths and practices that I was feeling so both called to and nurtured by. 
Um, so Cynthia Bergeau, um, Father Keating, as you mentioned, he's yep. written a couple of great books that are uh, really primers into centering prayer. One of them is called Intimacy with God, which again, I think communicates that silence is intended to be a pathway toward intimacy with God. Uh, but most recently I read Martin Laird's first book. He's got a set of three books around silence, but the first book is the one um, that I want to share most about because it is so very good. It's called Into the Silent Land. And he, for me, has really traced the roots of practices of silence throughout the Christian tradition in a way that a lot of the other authors that I see talking about contemplation don't do quite as well. So he, it's a very slim little book and he is just constantly quoting Desert Fathers and Mothers, Evagrius, St. John of the Cross, the author of The Cloud of Unknowing, Teresa of Avila, um, all of these mystics from our tradition who were not after head knowledge about God, like some of the scholars were, but connection and union with God. Experience. Right. Right. And that they, he even talks about that they practice what's called the Jesus prayer, which is kind of a precursor to what we know as centering prayer. It's built on this idea that Jesus, um, when he encountered the devil in the wilderness, when the spirit led him out into the wilderness and was tempted, that Jesus responded to the devil with scripture and nothing more. Jesus didn't get into a conversation. Jesus just responded with scripture. And so there became this ancient tradition of for those in the desert, right, who are um, tormented by temptation of all different kinds within and without, that they would quote scripture as a way to calm themselves And eventually, rather than, you know, a sentence or a phrase, it became just one word. And that was Jesus. The name of Jesus became the thing that drew them back into themselves, to the deepest part of themselves, to connection with God. And in so many ways, that's kind of the essence of centering prayer now. Even though we don't ask people to say the word Jesus, we invite people to come up with a word or a phrase. a sacred word or a glance. That they come back to. And I think that's something that the Christian tradition has to offer Um, So much conversation around meditation and the practice of silence is about letting go of the thoughts or clearing away. And I feel like what Christian meditation is trying to invite us into is a returning to God. That's one of the things that Martin Laird does in his book that I found so compelling is even just the title, Into the Silent Land. He's not saying, let go of your thoughts. He's saying, here, come closer, move into the silent land, the silence that is within you, the silence that is within God, the ways we find ourselves in God, that God is the ground of all being, and that if we aren't still enough and quiet enough, we forget that reality and we go off living from these other places and these compulsions and this sense of need to achieve or need to be loved or all these other places that don't recognize that, oh, we are already whole. We are already found in God. (laughs) We could basically just end it there. You you about covered it. I had probably about five or six thoughts that came up while you were talking. It sounds a lot like Martin Laird is inviting us into almost an adventure rather than disciplining all the things that we experience as wrong with ourselves Mm. that are barriers. And I think in a lot of meditative traditions, as you mentioned, we can enter into it and think, oh, I'm thinking all these thoughts. I got to stop thinking. Well, 
that's not going to happen. The good news is we never actually stop thinking. We just develop a different relationship with our thinking or we get fidgety or there's a great story that Thomas Keating talks about um, when he was teaching Centering Prayer before he passed. He had a nun in one of his classes who said at the end of one of their Centering Prayer sessions, Father, I'm a terrible failure at this practice. I, I got distracted a thousand times during my sin. He said, how delightful. A thousand opportunities to return to God. Mm. You know, these practices, they're, they're not about progress or perfection. They're about identity. It's about knowing who you are in God and creating and cultivating that space to reinforce that identity consistently and gently, just like a parent would consistently and gently reinforce to their children that they're good, that they're loved, that it's not about what they do, it's about who they are. And silence is one of the most powerful ways that we can experience that right now in our lives. No need to go out to a retreat center, although that's you know a wonderful experience if you can pull it off. Um, no need to move to a cave or a monastery. Um, these are very much practices and invitations for people in their day-to-day lives. Having jobs, having families, doing everyday human things. I appreciated what you said about um, an invitation kind of into the wilderness or into an adventure, adventure yeah. right, that's, that's not known. Um, I think one of the things that Laird talks about that has been helpful to me is this idea that so much of um, meditation is being talked about right now as like technique right? or as a way to achieve a specific result. So you meditate so that you can be happier. Well, it is true that research has been done. Statistically, that, you will be happier. Right. If yeah. you meditate. <laughs> However, we shouldn't meditate because that leads to happiness. Like his Laird's point is that what we are trying to do as Christians is be disciplined in a practice that facilitates a process, but that process is not something we can control right? because the discipline is sinking down and getting still and connecting with God and opening ourselves and receiving God and consenting to God. Right. And we have no control, (laughs) right? We have no control over what comes up in that. Yeah. Um, or very little control. And I do think that's one of the, um, the fears around silence is that hard things come up for us often. You and yeah. I have both had this experience when we've been oh, yeah. in seasons where we are sitting regularly in silent prayer, um, where we have emotions and stories from our past that come up that we would prefer not to deal with, but that those become opportunities also for God to heal old wounds. To transform us. Yeah, it's to offer a, us love. It's a, a pathway to authenticity. But it is hard, you know, at least I'd say at least once a week when I am disciplined in my practice, I have a really, really hard sit. Mm. That's just unavoidable. But I think you mentioned something about, you know, we we can look at meditation and contemplation and these silent practices and think technique, technique, technique. It really is simple. I mean, sitting still is about as simple as it gets. Being silent is it is simplicity itself right simple doesn't mean easy exactly <laughs> simple doesn't mean easy so i think a lot of people are intimidated by the simplicity of it it doesn't seem complicated enough or maybe the technicality of it seems too complex i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to resist meeting silence 
But oftentimes I feel like the thing that we resist is often the thing that we need the most Mm -hmm. so my invitation and even if you don't immediately sit down and take up a practice of silence which i'm not necessarily saying everyone has to or needs to or should do this although i do believe everyone could benefit it would certainly deepen your spirituality but just consider what you're resisting Mm -hmm. about silence what is it that you makes you want to push it away I think there's also a misconception that um, practices of interiority in the spiritual life are selfish. Navel gazing. Right. That when we are being silent, we are all wrapped up in our own story and that that is inherently self-centered. Right. And I think that's a myth that needs to be deconstructed. I think that when I am practicing silence regularly, that's often the place where I'm able to most decenter my ego and myself and my own needs and my own wants. And so much of what comes out of that practice um, isn't what's happening in those moments of silence, but what happens in the moments afterwards when I get up off of my meditation cushion and go into the kitchen and encounter you or encounter Olive or have a phone call with a colleague, that I am able to respond to that from a different place, that I am able to respond to that from a deeper connection with God. I've heard it said that it's the things in our heads that are the biggest obstacles to our connection with God. And I feel like the practice of silence is a way for us to begin detaching from our sense of identity that's caught up in our heads. You know, I think, therefore, I am. Right. And an awareness that, no, I just am. Or I am what I do. I mean, how many people do we know in ministry or in caregiving professions who burn out? I mean, I think maybe you shared a statistic with me that most young ministers burn out within two years? I think it's within the first five years, 60% of ministers will find another profession they or will something find, like that. Right. And that could be related to burnout or other reasons, but 60% is significant. You know, it says in the scripture, Jesus says that, um, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I think we can absolutely serve from a different place. Mm. And these practices are ways that we can do that, that it's not selfish. In fact, it's the most loving thing someone could do to create that space to connect first with God and then bring that connection into their service. Yeah, I think that phrase from Jesus has in some ways become a barometer to me for what is it that God's calling me to do and what is it that either someone else is calling me to do or I'm demanding that I myself do versus Mm -hmm. something God's inviting me into. Like, is the yoke easy and light? That doesn't mean that it's always literally easy, but that it is bearable, that it is not an overextension. I feel like that's what Jesus does so well in the rhythm of uh, withdraw and service. Um, I once read, I think it was in Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, which was a devotion that is a classic and has been around forever. And I think someone gave it to me as a gift in high school. I'm pretty sure it's in there that he makes this statement that all of the people that encountered Jesus didn't get healing because Hmm. Jesus wasn't out to be everything to everyone. Jesus was connected enough to the spirit to discern who needed the touch at that moment. What was his and what was someone else's or what was God's? 
yeah. to figure out. Yeah. And you know? I think that that's something that silence allows us to do is to have a gap between our thought and our action that allows us to discern, that allows us to say, okay, God, is this your voice or is this something else? Is this my own voice driving me or my own ego? Yeah, are you at the center or am I at the center? Right. You know, because some of the nicest, kindest, best people, most service-oriented people I know could still be coming from a place where they are at the center of what they're doing. And it's not because of poor intentions. It's because of a lack of awareness. Yeah. So we both practice silent prayer in some form with some regularity. Mm -hmm. I think we both believe that it has changed us and connected us more deeply to God. No doubt. And we want to invite our listeners into that for just a minute, for just 60 seconds of silence. So I invite all of you, wherever you are, um, as long as you're not driving, (laughs) to just take a minute to be still. Maybe begin by taking a few deep breaths, relaxing your body. And for the next 60 seconds, try to access the quiet of your heart. When you find yourself lost in thought, which inevitably we all will be, just return. Return to the quiet of your heart, the place where your heart meets the heart of God. I hope that that small taste becomes medicine that you also want to return to. Thank you for being with us listeners and thank you JJ for being on this six week journey with me. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. It's been really, really wonderful. I agree. Thank you for being with us these last six weeks as we've explored together practices that might enable us to nourish our souls, especially during this strange new time. On today's episode, this last episode, we frequently referenced the practice of centering prayer. So there will be a guide to that practice on the website at www.tbcrichmond.org slash encountering silence.
We hope that you will take some time to try it on in the coming days and that you will find the poems and images that will go out through social media, a space to stop and reflect, to get still and get quiet, to encounter God in a moment of silence. A special thanks to Ryan Corbett for our beautiful music, and of course, JJ Vega for journeying with me. I have a sense this is only the beginning of our podcasting journey together, so be on the lookout for more to come. Blessings be, friends. Thank mm-hmm. you.